My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to this episode of Legally Clueless Podcast. Thank you so much for rocking with me and being part of this family. If you're an OG member, I have got nothing but so much love for you. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome to the family. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday and you can stream them everywhere you find podcasts on. And if you head over to our YouTube channel, you can keep up to date with our three and a half (laughs) seasons of our video series. A half because we've just started a new season and a new show, show, and it's called Legally Clueless After Hours. It's so wonderful. The conversations are so soulful. I'm pretty sure you will enjoy it. It's a breath of fresh air, especially if you look at like the shows that are out right now i think sometimes conversations don't go deep enough aren't real enough many a time they're chasing cloud they're not going deep does it make sense (laughs) so if you're all about that jazz head over to our youtube channel there is something nice for you over there there's links to that in our show notes Last but not least, make sure you join our community. Head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com to sign up so you can be part of the fam and get our newsletter. All right, so what can you look forward to in this episode? I'm very excited about it, by the way. Listen to this. Just sitting with my friends, I asked them, how do you invest your money? They're like, what do you mean? (laughs) So yeah, how do you make your money grow? And they said, well, actually... It normally sits in a bank account, which obviously gives me the shivers because that's the worst thing you can do with your money because of inflation. Um, it's not earning anything. It's that you're actually losing money by saving. So the reason I'm really excited about this story is because of just personal developments I've been going through when it comes to money. I want to say maybe beginning of this year. It must have been beginning of this year. My partner and I were having like real conversations about money and like what we need to change and do better and he had come across this documentary on netflix i think it's called smart money if i'm not wrong basically what it was about was like there was four everyday people with different financial capabilities or standings and habits etc They had different levels of debt, different goals, and they were paired with somebody who had better knowledge when it comes to just making your money work for you and saving and investing and all of that. So they were paired with these people who walked with them across a couple of months just to get them having better money habits, right? You know, I remember one of the people was this, I want to say American football player, And he was paired up with another black man. I think at a point he had squandered a lot of the money that was coming in. And he was just trying to make better decisions because now he had a family. You know, he was able to understand, you know, buying stock and things like that. I remember him saying that these were not things that were ever taught to him. I was just like, please preach, brother. (laughs) Same was up over here. Okay. And then the other thing was, and then the other person was, I remember one lady who was a creative and artist at heart, and she was working as a bartender, just trying to make money to pay her bills and to be able to put it back into her artwork. She was paired up with somebody, and I still remember them saying, it's not beyond this world to be able to build your 
creative enterprise into something that you can live off of full time. So like, let's work towards that. You know what I mean? I was just like, definitely something I needed to hear because there's like a lot of creative stuff that I aspire to do with my writing, with storytelling, etc. And at the back of my mind is like this fear of just how will I afford to do it or is paying for those things a waste of money? You know what I mean? In present day, (laughs) with all the madness that's going on in the world. So yeah, it was very affirming. I remember the other people were, there was a family. The person they were paired with, they were trying to figure out how to get to a point where they could retire. And I can't remember the name of the number, but there's like an amount you have to have. And then you work backwards from it to say, okay, fine. This is how I'm going to get to that amount because when I hit that amount, I can actually retire. Like I'm not going to have to be a slave to work or a slave to my business, etc. And I just thought that was so powerful. And just especially if you're in a space where you have kids, it's something you have to think about. And like, how can you still make good financial decisions for yourself and for them while meeting your day to day responsibilities you know and bills so i remember we he watched it first and he was like you need to watch it also because there's one chick who and i used to do this thing where if i've had a bad day i'm gonna reward myself by going to the mall and buying myself a dress or a new outfit etc and if i've had a good day same script you know and she was doing the same thing and she had racked up like a lot of debt her habits were just not on her spending habits were just not on. And I remember hers even like one of the things that came up is, you know, you could save for a holiday. I think we're always thinking of like saving as this chore and this, oh, we're saving for a rainy day, like a trauma induced thing. Does that make sense? You could be saving for something responsible. You could be saving for rest. You could be saving to reward yourself. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be so trauma-informed. We're saving because one day all my money is going to go away. We're saving because one day I'm going to fall sick. Like these are serious things to think about, but I just don't think we have to come to them or to that table so trauma-informed. So after watching that, we really started thinking about like, Money market funds, uh, putting our money into that. What was the other thing? Oh, yes, buying stocks and especially stocks in like international companies, etc. Which I, uh, this is January, right? That we were like just going through all of this. I was like, oh, how do you do this? He found some Indian guy <laughs> on YouTube who like was teaching you how you can do it if you're not in the States, how can you invest in like companies like Apple, etc. He watched it, figured out how to do it, what apps he needed, and he did it. I watched it and I was just like, this sounds very complex and risky. And in my head, I just started like freaking out. I was like, I'm going to lose my money. I'm going to lose my money. I would rather just put it into like a money market fund here. I would rather where it's, A place where I know where their office is. (laughs) I can rock up (laughs) in case case they try to run away with my money. I can pull up. I can pull up and we can have a conversation, you know. And so (laughs) I remember just kind of like 
trying to think, okay, what exactly is my relationship with money and why is it so, why am I so scared? You know, it takes me such a long time to make an investment and not even like serious investment. Just like I was saying the other day, like anything that costs over 10,000 Kenya shillings, which is what now it's like, what, $70, $80. Anything that costs me more than that, I'm just like, nope. That's a waste of money, blah, 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 right? And it's good to evaluate what you're spending your money on. But I think for me, it's so trauma-informed that it takes me so long to make a financial decision. For example, I need, actually, (laughs) a new phone because of certain, a new business I'm starting and uh, certain directions I want to go with my work. And I have been saying it for the whole year that I want a Google Pixel phone. I want a Google Pixel phone. I I can afford it. But because it's more than that 10,000 shillings, I'm just like, well, that's a waste of money. It's really not. <laughs> it's really not. But it's still like trauma, trauma induced. Another thing is like, okay, I need a new laptop. I know the one I'm going to get. And I'm just like, eee! you know what I mean? Like paralyzed. And it's the same with like buying stocks. I just get like paralyzed that I'm, I'm wasting money. I'm going to lose all my money. I'm, I'm useless with money. I'm going to be so broke. And that time, like I'm spending, honestly, <laughs> a small amount of money. Like, but the way I've, I've, I've stretched it out is just like, sis, this doesn't make any freaking sense. And I remember sitting down to try and understand, like alone, just trying to understand and here and there this came up in therapy trying to understand why is my relationship with money so fear and trauma infested what happened and i remember back when my mom and dad got divorced i think i was about 10 11 around that age and we left the house everything i remember we were able to take a lot of the stuff because my mom had furnished the house and she had all her receipts, etc. But then we moved in with my aunts and two uncles at the time. And, you know, it was just all of us in one house. It wasn't cramped. I never felt uncomfortable, etc. But I remember one time there was an issue with the rent. Like, I vaguely remember this. There was like, I won't even say a full day, like a couple of hours of destabilization where we had to move from that house into what became like the house I spent most of my years in when I came back from high school in Botswana. But we moved to that house number B or house number two, let's call it that. And I just remember the shift happened really quick. It's almost like my mom was trying to cushion us from understanding like this is a rent situation happening. I remember our belongings being taken out of house number one. And then, you know, we moved to house number two that same night, you know? And so I remember even at that age, like trying to be like, wait, was house number two just chilling? Like, was this all the plan or like, is there really a money issue happening? Are we going to be homeless? And just kind of having all of these fears. And it's so crazy how, again, this wasn't an entire day. This was a couple of hours. By evening, we were in house number two. And it still had an effect on me where I have a lot of trauma around what if 
one day I just don't have any money. And the crazy bit about that is that it then paralyzes me from making good decisions with my money, which then makes it very possible for me to one day not have any money because I'm not making the right decisions with my money. So it's not a situation of like spendthrift and whatever. I think I have a limit in my head. So even like when I reward myself with a dress or whatever, it wasn't like I was walking out, you know, like (laughs) in those rap videos when the guy has gone to spend on the chick and they walk out of the mall or the the shop with all of these bags. No, it wasn't like that. (laughs) Probably walking out with like one bag. (laughs) Or whatever what is fitting in my handbag, you know? So I, I wasn't like, spending ridiculously but I was just so scared of making investments you know and so at that time I would have rather looked at my money sitting in my bank account because at least I can see it but in the long term that's still a pretty not good way of making your money work for you which you will hear a little later in in this episode in the story and so I want you in this episode to really sit with yourself and ask yourself what emotions and emotional experiences, traumatic or not, are informing your relationship with money. Yours could be completely different from me, but just ask yourself those questions as you listen to the storyteller today. And I'm so excited to have her on here. Her name is Radhika. How I got to meet her was through the Visa Everywhere initiative. You know, and if you've never heard of it, you could find yourself needed it, especially right now where we're all busting with like innovative ideas for startups, for new businesses, new organizations. So you start the startup, you believe it's definitely going to change your country your county, your continents, like it's a real solution to real problems, right? But then there's always that stumbling block of, I need funds. (laughs) I need funds to get this idea up and running, you know what I mean? Or else it just remains in my head. And that's where the Visa Everywhere initiative comes in. It's an open innovation program that helps startups like yours unlock new opportunities and they can even give you a global platform for you to demonstrate your startup, your groundbreaking solutions to a wider audience. So it's not just people in your community, immediate community who are knowing about you. And I only found out about the Visa Everywhere initiative this year, but it was actually first launched in 2015, started off in the US, but it's quickly expanded into a global program. So As of now, nearly 12,000 startups have applied to the program. Yep. And many of these startups now work with Visa or Visa's clients. So there's an opportunity to network beyond the clients that are within your reach right now. Now, how I found out about our storyteller in this episode, we're about to jump into a story, don't worry, is through a competition that the Visa Everywhere Initiative has. So it's a competition that gives you a global stage and you get to pitch your solutions to a panel of payment experts, you know, and then you get to win prizes and gain wider attention in the sector. 
So this year, I'm super proud of the Kenyan participants, okay? <laughs> in July, which is around the time I was getting to hear about Visa Everywhere Initiative, we had some Kenyans winning, and we're going to get to know one of them in this episode. So one of the winners was iFluence. They took the overall prize of 20,000 US dollars. There was also Ledger. There was also Ndovu. And Ndovu walked away with 10,000 US dollars. They won the Impact Award. And so in this episode, we're going to hear the story of Radhika, an amazing Kenyan woman who is one of the brains behind Ndovu. And she's going to help me and you start to change our relationship with money. Legally Clueless, powered by Visa Everywhere Initiative, helping startups unlock new opportunities. Hi, my name is Radhika Bachu, and I'm from Kenya, the wonderful land in Africa. It's a great place if you haven't visited before. So I grew up in Nairobi, which is the capital city in Kenya. I had majority of my uh, adolescent life in Nairobi, went to Nairobi Academy, um, and then moved, went to Canada for schooling for a little bit, um, and then have been back and forth. So then came back to study a little bit more, then went to London to study for and lived there for 15 years. So I'm, I am Kenyan and I'm so glad to be back now, but I've spent half my life away. So I think the first feeling, and I think everyone can relate to this, uh, when you first move to a new city, is this fear of the unknown, not knowing where you are, you have no friends, the being out of comfort and that never changes. Um, so I have probably re reloc I have re relocated three times. So first in the UK with my mum, and then I moved to Canada and then I moved back to the UK and that feeling never changes because you're still getting used to the cultures and making friends. I think the biggest culture shock is just not knowing how to do the simple things, how to get from A to B and you have to learn. And now that I'm a little bit older, it's easier to do. Um, and we're well-traveled now. You know, when you're in your young years, you've been on one or two holidays, but travel now is more ex easily accessible, so you figure out those little things. But, for example, just knowing where to buy milk from the first time you actually move somewhere, those little things never change. You still have that weird, I don't know what I'm doing. But now I'm, a, I'm more used to it. I'm going to take a sidestep and say I think it's really unfair that at a very young age we are asked to pick the career that you should be doing for the rest of your life when you haven't had any experience in any role. So my story in terms of how I picked where I was going to go was very much based from my parents. I assumed being Indian and Kenyan that my dad wants me to do something in medicine. Um, and actually, since I've moved back, I've been laughing with a few Kenyan friends and they said, yeah, but I did, I did a nursing career and then actually now I'm in finance. And I had applied to do dentistry I got in and being the typical Kenyan went to do my work experience afterwards and I remember calling my dad and saying oh my god I don't think I can do this as a full-time life career uh, and to shout out to all the dentists because we need you <laughs> but I couldn't do the whole blood and the and at that stage, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my dad said, why did you assume that I wanted you to do medicine? I said, well, the way you talk about other children who, you know, is a doctor or is a dentist. And you've mentioned like dentists have a really good life, nine to five. It's easy. I just assumed. And I think that's a key learning. We don't, my parents didn't speak to us a lot about what you can do, where you can go. I wish at that point, 
my dad said, why don't you go have coffees with all your uncles who are doing these incredible, and aunties, these incredible jobs. And that would give you a bit more guidance on what you want to do. And so in the end, uh, he just said, well, what do you enjoy? And I said, well, I'm really good at maths. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. He's like, well, I'm really not, I'm really bad at maths, but yeah, go for it, do maths. And then I just did mathematics at university. And then, of course, now I was like, what do I do with a maths career? I've done mathematics. Where, what does that mean for me as a career? And so I looked through several different options. I had coffees with people. I didn't make the mistake. I did a few summer internships and then realized, right, I do love the investment space and that's something that I'd like to pursue. In my journey, I, I actually decided that I didn't want to do dentistry before I got in. So I got in, but I decided not to go. So you normally have the intake in September and you find out in May that you've got in. So then I said, okay, right, I need to find an option. I like maths and I like this university. So I went out of London, which was the best decision I could have made for myself. You know, there's a beautiful green campus. Uh, you lived on campus. It was a small community. You just felt part of this bit larger, fun, going out, working hard group of people. Um, and you weren't surrounded in like this London city, which is great where I lived most of my time, but it's like tall buildings and it's a very different atmosphere. Went there and over the, the summers, the good thing about once you're in university, you have a few people who say, okay, so what, what do you want to do once you graduate? You have a counselor. They ask you all the right questions. And I always thought, said that I actually really enjoy talking about money and how you can make it grow, but I didn't know what that meant. And if I just thought, like, go back a little bit, when I was growing up, my grandma uh, started a business in the 1970s. And that's quite unheard of for a female to be super successful then. And that business today has been passed down to my brother. And in terms of my mom, she had her like tailoring business. So she was very independent from my dad. And so I always saw myself around females who were always working and running a company. And growing up, like if someone asked me, what do you want to do? I didn't know how to put it in words, but it was very much like I see myself in a position of running a company, but I don't know what that looks like. And I said, okay, well, I like investments. And actually at the time, a few of us were applying for graduate roles. Uh, so this is an third year. And the idea is that you're hearing everybody in your cohort of the year saying, oh, I got a job at Accenture. I got a job at Deloitte. I got a job at PwC. I got a job at all these big firms. And the pressure is real right because you're all again with life you're compared all your all your schooling life to be brilliant and now it's crunch time everyone was applying for auditing which of course is the highest intake in the finance industry a lot of they need a lot of auditors because the turnover is really high because auditing is when you go into a company and you say okay they have 10 chairs and they have five boxes of tissue like it's really boring and I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I have to apply to something I really like. So then I said, okay, I'm going to do the investment consulting role, which was very much advising corporations and big companies how to take the money they have today, invest it so they can then pay out their liabilities, which are simply expenses that they have to pay out in the, in the long term. And that's a long shot because at Deloitte, they only hired three people for that particular role. But for the audit role, they were hiring 60, 70 intake so instead of, again, doing the easy thing, I decided that I will do the, the Deloitte. And I remember sitting in the kitchen of our third year house. We're eight girls that live in this massive house and we're all in the kitchen and I get the call from the partner. I said, the partner at Deloitte. He said, yeah, really excited. We'd like to offer you the position. And I was actually one of the last ones and all of us are screaming in the kitchen and it was so nice. But of course, it's all conditional because you still have to get uh, two, one and above, which is 
70% and above in your degree. But it was just such a journey because you feel all this pressure of everyone's getting a graduate role. You need a graduate role. And just having done those interviews and figuring out how to do assessment days, oh, it was it was fun, but very difficult at the same time. And you go through all these emotions of, will I be a failure if I don't have a graduate role? And the answer is no, because you can get another role elsewhere. It's not the end and be all, but when you're in that moment, in that community, in the same year group, it really can feel like this is the end if I don't get a job. I haven't studied that hard in my entire life. I, I think seven months before, oh, all we did was study. So I didn't know what I signed up to. Honestly, there was, I read this job description and you'll probably find that with uh, uh, JD, so a job description roles when they post it. And they have all these fancy words like being able to manage and meet KPIs and be, you know, you'll work with pension funds to do X, Y, Z, but none of it actually makes sense. It's not in layman terms. And so I signed up um, for a role that was very much uh, heavily involved in working behind spreadsheets which was good because you do need to have the technical experience. Um, but I thought my time would be more client facing um, versus behind spreadsheets. So I did that for three and a half years. It was a great experience. Um, I was studying to as a CFA, which today I've not completed. And I hats off to everybody who's a CFA analyst because you're studying, working, and doing a lot of your personal things on the go. And I think it was one of the hardest things that people have to do in their careers. And I think kudos to them. So we get in there. I'm, you know, I, I start learning how to code. Um, it was just Excel coding VBA and creating all these financial models. And then realize actually over every time I'd get feedback, a lot of the clients would say, oh, I'm very good in front of clients. So you'd go in with a senior partner, managing director. They would obviously lead the meeting, but you'd have a section where you present what you had worked on. And I did realize actually that's the part of the job I enjoy. The spreadsheets is fun, but anyone else can do that. You know, like I, I don't have to do this. I know how to do it. This is really great. And then I decided, okay, what role would I, could I go into that would allow me to be more in front of client sales? So then I moved over to BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager. I was a relationship director there, very much advising clients on how I can bring the breadth of this big organization with such a big brand. So, you know, the data that they have, the portfolio analysts that they've got in there, all the different strategies to help them solve their problems that keep them up at night. And of course, that's one of the key learnings actually I've taken away. And what helps obviously with the business I do today is that are you solving a problem that the client has? And the fact that they think like that explains why they're the world's largest asset manager. Because actually, we didn't just say these are the products we have. Actually, what keeps you up at night? And let's bring what we have to help you solve it. So it's a very different way of thinking. Whereas other asset managers would say, okay, we have three funds. We're going to come sell to you these three funds. So it was really interesting. And once you step away from all this, the corporate life that you have, you realize how much you've learned. And it's of, it's a biosmosis on a daily basis. And then those are the same practices I now put uh, to our business. And even with our team, I take them through training so they can learn from the good practices of how to get things done faster, how to really put the client in the center of your business, how to do things in a very risk controlled and governance way. So it's been very exciting. Even I look back to say, when did it start materializing? So I met a man who's also Kenyan and he mentioned to me at some point, I would like to go back to join my dad and family business. And I said, okay, I actually want to start to have a family. And if you looked at how busy our lives were in, in the UK, you get up early, you go to the gym, you go to work, you come home, you have to do all the house chores. You have a massive social life. 
uh, both of us sat down and said, realistically, do you think we can have a family here? In the West, you can have help, but it costs a lot of money. Um, so we said, you know what, it's the op- this is the right time to now move back to uh, home. And we used to come back every year and we used to love it. But my biggest fears was, what am I going to do when I get back? So before I left BlackRock, I actually asked them, would you be interested in opening an Africa office? Uh, what does that look like? What are your concerns and risks? And actually, they made a really simple question, uh, point. They said, a lot of the wealth that comes in from really wealthy, high net worth individuals in Africa are politically exposed individuals. And unfortunately, they can't take, they can take money, but there's a lot of clearance that you have to go through. Um, and they just said that if we made a mistake of acquiring a customer that then they get fined by the regulator. All the revenue that they've earned over one, two, three years doesn't actually make sense. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, and actually now having a conversation with my colleagues, they're looking to open an Africa office. And I said to them, well, if you need any help, I've got a really good network now. Let me know and I'll still help you because we're st- I'm still in touch with my colleagues. But there was this fear of what am I going to do? And I had been coming back on holiday and and when you come back, you see your friends and you go out, um, you know, you don't really do any research. And then when I came back, I was like, right, I need to have coffees with everybody and anybody. Like that was the first thing for the first four months. I was was so done drinking tea and coffee because that's all I did. And I realized that there was a big gap in the market. Just sitting with my friends, I asked them, how do you invest your money? They're like, what do you mean? (laughs) So yeah, how do you make your money grow? And they said, well, actually, it normally sits in a bank account, which obviously gives me the shivers because that's the worst thing you can do with your money because of inflation. Um, it's not earning anything. It's that you're actually losing money by saving. I said, what about global markets? Aren't you guys interested? You all have an Apple phone and Android. You all consume football. Like, wh- what about getting involved in those companies? And said, actually, I've tried, but I need a private banker, which typically asks you to have anywhere from $10,000 to $50,000. And I said, oh, that's strange, because in the UK and the West, you can simply invest with $10. And I said, okay, there's something here. But again, I didn't really dwell on it too much. And the thing is, because like stemming from my childhood, I knew I wanted to run a business. And luckily, I have a very supportive husband who said, well, if you're going to do it, you have to do it now because we don't have any children. You have nothing to lose. Um, you know, you've saved enough money whilst you're a BlackRock. You know, you can sustain your lifestyle for the next f- foreseeable future of 10 to 15 years. You'll be fine because cost of living is slightly lower here. So he said, if you're going to do it, go to do it now. And I went, yeah, but I don't know how to start a business. Like, what do you mean now? He's like, well, what's the quickest way to learn? You know, you can go do an MBA, which I would love to do at some point, but you need $200,000 to do an MBA. You need time. And I didn't have that. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to join an accelerator program, which basically takes like-minded individuals, puts you in a room. So you have about over seven to 10 years experience and says to you, solve a problem. And they teach you how to build a business in six weeks. So again, this is the Kali way of just saying, let's just roll with it. And I didn't know what I wanted to problem solve when I went into the market. I had some ideas. I looked at skincare. I looked at fashion, being a woman. I looked at chocolate making because I was still figuring what my passion was. And then what I realized was after doing the few, their design sprints, basically a bunch of you get into a room, you like bounce ideas off each other. The energy is super high. Um, you know, somebody says something silly and you're like, nah, silly. But then you're like, actually, there might be something there. So it's really nice because you're in a room of like-minded individuals 
And I, the accelerator program I went to was called Antlers. So if anybody wants to join it, Google it. They have it at Nairobi office. That's where I met my co-founders. And that's where I realized your strength comes from knowledge. And because I was in the finance space for over 15 years, if I was to go learn about skincare, uh, it would take me that much longer to build a business that would reach the revenue that we're looking at because I'm starting from scratch. So I said, okay, let's put what I had learned and, and I've been doing this for so long to use. And that's how we gave birth to Dovu. So, you know, I just think sometimes life throws you lemons and you learn how to make lemonade. And that's exactly what happened to us. So we're part of this accelerator program that is meant to be in person. And the reason it's in person is because you need to bounce off each other's ideas, be really hands-on and scrappy. And that was the time when COVID hit um, and we had to go offline. So we ended up design sprinting, which is figuring out the business idea with different people at the time. During this period where we were working offline, we were doing a lot of work in the in our behind the scenes. And over the six week period, in order for us to believe that somebody needs this product, we're solving a problem. We actually put out a website, which was bare bones that said, do you want to make your money grow? Yes. Okay, if we could give you 12% growth on your money, which is the average, the S&P 500 will give you over uh, 10 years time, but on the dollar. So that's a lot more in Kenya shillings. We had in the week of uh, space of uh, six weeks, $3.1 million committed. Okay, no one had transferred us the money, but we had the interest. And that gave a signal that, okay, this is something that we could work on. And the idea with the type of business we're building is that we need to get to scale very quickly. So the vision is in seven to 10 years time, you're actually generating $100 million in revenue. And that's a really big number. But through the journey, what happened was that I was with the team and we pitched to the Antler program that gives you equity funding. So they'll take a part of your business and they'll give you money so that you can build your business. And we did the IC, which is the investment committee. And we didn't get through because one of the challenges they said was that you're playing in a regulatory space. And we think it's going to take you a really long time to solve for regulation. So we're now regulated by the Capital Markets Authority. But that was the biggest challenge, they said. So at that point, though, uh, one thing I like, what I, I've realized actually just talking through the stories more and more is I like to be honest with myself. And at that time, the team that I was was not the right fit because two of us had overlapping skills. And actually, being a woman, naturally, I think I can do everything better than anyone else, right? It just is how we think. And for, for me, that's definitely was a good sign when we didn't get the funding. It was almost like a weight had lifted off my shoulder. I really wanted it because I, you know, again, being competitive and just really wanted to get the money, but then actually would have been the wrong thing because we were not the right team. We didn't gel together. So that happened. And of course, I'm disheartened. I've been working day and night, six weeks, and IC says they're not going to invest us. But the thing was, I totally believed in the idea. I said, of course, we're going to. The idea is there. So we parted ways, all of us. And I said, right, I'm going to find another founding team. But this time I did the opposite thing. I said, okay, well, where's my weaknesses? In order for this business to grow, what do I need in this in this space? So I needed a tech person, so our CTO, and I found him through the same cohort, so the same program, because I don't know how to code. I mean, I, I know a bit of coding, but I don't know how to code and manage developers and explain to them my marketing vision into tech words. Like, I don't know how to do those things. Um, and also I realized, okay, I'm still, even though I'm Kenyan, I'm coming back. I don't understand business language. And the moment, and I think this is a really key nugget. 
sometimes you can be successful with not such a great product, but just if you know how to maintain, build relationships. And I think the value of that is sort of gone astray in our modern day age and especially and not just here but even in the UK relationships mean a lot and I know that the new gen is coming in and it's very much like oh yeah it's transactional everything is transactional but really there's value for you to be super successful so I said okay well I don't have the business the business language I need to learn that I need to learn regulation and I need to learn a little bit more about the history of what's happened in the investment space across Africa, what have been the challenges. And that, again, domain expertise, you can't just get from reading a book or watching a podcast. You can, but it's going to take you a long time. So my third co-founder is Kenyan, uh, Rogito Nyangeri. He was the head of uh, strategy at the Nairobi Securities Exchange. And so as a team, we were the best duo, uh, triplet. And what's really ironic, the first day we met, we were on the table. There was four of us on this table, included GP and Roe and myself. And they give you this problem to st- help you start thinking like, try and come up with a competing product for Impesa. And all three of us were like, oh yeah, tell me about yourself. What's been going on? Like we're, we were interested in getting to know each other and what makes you tick. And we had a third uh, gentleman, also very sharp, but he was like, oh, I'm going to go and do all this research. But we're like, no, 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 we've done the product. Okay, we get it. Yeah, but it's just an exercise that like, we're cool like lazy almost lazy behavior like yeah we're gonna do this okay cool we'll present this and then it was going back to so tell me more about yourself and they were the team that we're still now so our business has been live for over two and a half years we're still going strong they're my founding team and I said why did I waste all this time going to meet all these other founders in the room we should have just stuck to our business idea and then because we didn't have funding so this is another roller coaster so we all three of us were spending time working on the business. We all committed small amounts of capital to get started. And at this time, I think one, again, a couple of things. So we met people out there when we were fundraising that said, we don't think you can raise money. Um, so let me help you raise money, but you need to give me equity in the business. But I came from a fundraising environment. Remember, I worked at BlackRock. Yes, I was raising money for a big brand. But I know how investors work. And I said, no, we'll do this on our own. We'll do it the hard way. Thank you. And if we don't, then we'll come back to you. And of course, uh, before you know it, we start fundraising in October. By the end of the end month of October, we uh, raised $50,000, which was the first check that we needed. And it came from, I forced my husband to put a bit of money in. I forced my brother-in-law to put a bit of money in. I said, come on, guys. This is, this is, where, this is where charity begins. And it's not charity, but this is... Your network should help you. If you really believe in something, a lot of us don't do this, but tap into your network. And then what that gave the other uh, investors was that, okay, well, if her family believes in her, then there must be something here. Let's, 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 because they know it's an investment. Let's try it. Um, And, you know, we've gone through so many fundraising cycles. Fundraising has not been the challenge. But one thing that, again, an emotion that you feel, so there's an easy way of doing things and there's a hard way of doing things. And when we were building our business, we, so we're regulated by the Capital Markets Authority now, but what traditionally other competitors have done in Africa is that they've gone to already existing licensed entity, partnered with them, and they went to a US company that can create your app within seconds or three months, not seconds, three months. And they partnered with them. But what happens is you end up giving part of your revenue to this licensee plus the tech provider. And for us, it was a really difficult decision to make. We, we 
did go down the easy route because we said we can be up in three months. But what we realized was that we'd be giving so much of our percentage away. And all three of us said, actually, let's just take six months and build this, right? We won't pay ourselves. It's going to take six months to get this up and running. Ro was like, I can get the license in three months. I was like, right, let's do this. And we just put some time equity in it with that little bit of funding we're able to get some developers and today that was the best decision we could have done because when markets now have come down and you know global crisis we've got ukraine russia war still going on pandemic effects high hyperinflation unemployment things are getting rockier but we still own majority of our revenue so when you compare us as a company to other companies where when you go to fundraise, investors will say, oh, yeah, but so-and-so is doing better than you here. And you say, well, we're doing better here because we've got better margins. Actually, it was the right decision to make. And at that point, the emotion was, well, we can do this the easy way. Why build something that somebody has already done? But I don't know what it was that said, actually, take your time. I, I just, I wish I could pinpoint it till today. I can't. But sometimes making that difficult decision means you're a better company from a foundational perspective in the future. So when you are looking to set up your business, I think one question you should ask is, if I build my company the easy way, does it mean I leave revenue or control on the table? Or if I took the longer time, how long is longer? And is it worth building everything in-house so that you in the future can make the decisions you need to make? Um, so yeah, so there was a lot of bumps along the way, you know, feelings of, oh my God, we have no money. Uh, also self-doubt, you know, you're embarking on this, this this journey that you've never done before. You just have to have people around who say, no, you can do it. Like cheerleaders in different shapes or forms, whether it's a mentor, a friend, family member. And you just also have to remember, if you don't try, you'll never know. And I think those are the emotions you like go through through building the business at the very early stages. Dovu is empowering the everyday Kenyan, African, to take the money that they've worked so hard but invest it in smart ways so they can achieve financial freedom. But what does that actually mean, right? So it's an investment app where you would come onto the platform and we try to understand based on your current lifestyle through a series of questions, what is the type of risk you should run in your investment portfolio? And when we were doing our research, we found three things that the reason why Kenyans had become very good at saving but not investing is firstly, they just didn't know where to get started. So we get taught life skills. No, we don't. Not at school, we don't. We just learn them on the go. And so finances is one of those. How do you budget? How do you make your money grow? How do you make sure you're not taking really bad debt that's costing you a lot of money? We don't, we're not taught that. So that was something that we focused on. Secondly, the market's moved on now, but when we were building, you couldn't invest through digitally, essentially. You would have to go to a fund manager. Um, you'd fill in forms. You'd wait two weeks for KYC to be done. And let's face it, we're all getting busier by the minute and finances are not really at the top of our priorities because, you know, we want to live life and, you know, enjoy ourselves. So people, a lot of people wanted to, but then because it was so difficult, they, they dropped off. And then lastly, it was that if you wanted to invest in global markets, you needed $10,000, which let's face it, our African population, 60% is the youth. So, you know, they're, they're coming into workforce. We don't have $10,000. I was broke when I was at uni, you know, <laughs> so it's really something that we know we should do, but we didn't know how to get about it. So what we did was we empower first the user to understand the type of investor they are through these series of questions. So what does that mean? We ask you questions about your lifestyle and then our algorithm would say, okay, based on this, you are actually a balanced investor, which means 
you want to grow your money and you're willing to accept some ups and downs for a little bit of growth, but you still want to protect your capital. And an aggressive investor would say, listen, I just want to grow and I do, I'm not too worried about protecting my capital. And the conservative investor is somebody that says, no, no, capital preservation. I want to make sure my thousand shillings is a thousand shillings and then I'll have some growth. I don't mind it being 1,200, 1,400 at the end of the year, but I want my thousand shillings to be intact, which is really important because if you go in with a mindset of knowing what type of investor you are, then what when market moves, which it goes up and down, you don't panic. And then the other thing is that we make it super simple. You can be up, signed up, investing in under three minutes on our app, which is incredible. Um, so we've done your KYC. You can start investing all under three minutes. And then lastly, it was we allow you to get started with as little as on the investment side, which is 5,000 shillings, and on the savings side is 200 shillings. That is incredible because I truly, truly believe that because investing is emotional, people are not, you know, it's not like going into a supermarket and buying a bottle of water. You've paid 200 shillings and you get the bottle of water. Here you're saying, I'm going to put my money away without getting anything instantly. And so... The fact that we make it so easy to get started is really where the value is. And normally when I have a financial planning call or because I speak to my customers all the time, I say to them, just get started with 5,000 shillings. Just invest in the blue chip fund. Learn how it works because you can learn a lot of information, but until you do it, you don't really know how it works. So just start with 5,000 shillings. If you went out on a Friday night, you would have spent 5,000 shillings. So let's get started. You will thank me later. You will say to me, oh, I, I see the value of it. My money is now growing. So yeah, so we help you get started with as little as 5,000 shillings. And the idea is that investing is for the long term. And we, the way we designed our product is that you're investing for the long term. You're taking less risk. We don't offer crypto. We don't offer FX trading. Those are super risky. I don't think anybody who's not an investor should really think about doing it. Uh, crypto markets are down 40%. So last year, this crazy, like, hey, everybody's doing crypto. It's up 60. Actually, six, seven months later, it's down 40%. I would only invest in things I understand. So that's my advice. And if somebody's telling you you're going to get rich quick, it's a scam. Don't do it. But essentially what Dovu does is that we take the risk out of investing by guiding you to invest in investments that give you constant growth over a period of time. So we're not going to come here and promise you you're going to get 200% on your money. It's too good to be true. We say invest with us. And on average, depending on the strategy you pick, and we help you pick that strategy, you will get 12 to 16% on the dollar. And that's different because obviously the dollar at the moment is appreciating and the Kenya shilling is depreciating. So making sure that you know that 12% return on Kenya shillings is not the same as 12% return on the dollar. So we're trying to get people financially included. And I think that's where wealth creation starts. In Africa, we have all the right tools to be a self-sustaining continent. We can do farming, we can do export of minerals, export of products that we then do as a result of manufacturing, look at Kenya itself, but we just mismanage it. And it comes from education. So the first focus is let's focus on educating our individuals on how to make the money they have work for them so they can then and that transpires into daily decisions because as soon as you're financially aware you're like hold on a minute why am I spending that much there and it makes your overall life better and another thing we find is that we help you decide what your goals are and how much you need to save and that means that you're thinking in your career okay so if I'm earning a hundred thousand shillings a month what's the side hustle I can do to up that 
and I will save my income from the side hustle and invest it. So it just has a knock-on effect in your day-to-day life as well. Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know what the Visa Initiative Everywhere is, so Visa, you all know, is this big global company that's known for their payments. But what Visa is doing, which I commend, is they're trying to work with early-stage companies to help them achieve the scale they need because they've spent all these years building infrastructure for you to do business. And they want to support these companies because we will be the future of of the economy. And so what they uh, did was they put they picked five companies from Kenya. This is a global initiative. So every country has five different companies that are contributing to financial inclusion and growth. And they said, okay, we will work with you to provide you with the tools that you need to scale your business. And so for us, it was really exciting. We were one of the finalists in Kenya and we won the Social Impact Award. Uh, so we earned some money to now experiment with. And essentially, the vision and the goal for us with Visa is to be able to integrate into their payment rails that allow both the diaspora who have this affinity to building back our Africa, our you know, our Kenya, our Nigeria, etc., and allow them to invest back home without having to go to the bank and then doing a payment. So removing the fit friction out of making payments and also allowing the everyday Kenyan to now uh, be able to make payments seamlessly. And the vision for us with them is in the long term is that, you know, a lot of Kenyans do want to send their children to university. A lot of us want to travel and explore the world. But half of the challenges we have, I don't know if you've experienced this, when you go online and you use your Kenyan bank card and it just doesn't go through. I'm, I'm done with this payment. I, what do I do? You know, it just doesn't work. And so we want to issue Visa cards that allow you to be globally included. And the reason that's really powerful is it allows you to do business. It allows you to trade. It opens up your mindset to how else you can make money. Uh, when your children are going abroad, it takes off that stress of, oh God, how am I going to pay for things that they might need, like a laptop, uh, shoes and basic stuff, because now you're being financially included globally. And the reason financial inclusion is super important is that once you give someone the tool to be financially included, you're opening up opportunities that even words can't describe. Right. You know, somebody might discover that there's an export opportunity for X, Y, Z, and they can now do payments online to grow their business. So for us, that's really the focus for Visa. And Visa does a lot more other things. You know, there's tap to pay, there's reconciliation. They make, you know, their business is huge, but we're just going to leverage on the first infrastructure of payments so that we can help a mum who wants to send their child to university easily transact. And she's obviously saving on Dovu to pay for her children's education. So yeah, so that's what we're really excited about with Visa. Just remember that investing is emotional, okay? And what you need to remember is, firstly, don't invest in something you don't understand. There's lots of tools online. You can watch videos even on the Dovu platform that actually explain how things work in really layman terms. There are some really interesting TikTok influencers that break things down. You can get rid of the fear of investing because there's just so much information available in this day and age. And all you have to do is spend 20 minutes a Saturday morning whilst you're, you know, maybe getting ready, just put it on uh, your phone and just listen to it. You can really get rid of that fear of, I don't know what I'm doing. Secondly, I always say start small. This way, you're, the risk and the, the amount of commitment you're putting in is not too high. So even if you make mistakes and mistakes are normal, you're not at starting off at such a bad point. Like I know a lot of Kenyans uh, invest in crypto. Their entire wealth portfolio is in crypto, which is the worst idea, honestly, that you could have done. We don't say don't invest in crypto, but we say put 5% of your wealth in there, not 100%, uh, because now it's down 40%. So, you know, there's different ways of doing it. And you learn this through education. 
And then lastly, it's to say, there is no get rich quick scheme, just do things that have worked historically. And as you become more of a, a sophisticated investor, that's when you can try the things that you think might make you more money. So I'm all for taking risk, but it's about being smart in the type of risk you take. So if I was giving advice to uh, the everyday Kenyan today, let's talk about currency depreciation. It's a real thing that's impacting all of us. The Kenyan shilling was at about 120 to buy $1 at the beginning of this year. Today it's at 150. That means we have to give 30 bob more to buy the same $1. And as you know, our economy, we import a lot of things, whether it's skincare, food. So that's gone up by 15% until now. And the CBK is predicting that the Kenya shilling uh, to the dollar will go up to 200 shillings by the end of this year. So we're likely to see another 15% depreciation of our currency. But what do we do in this situation? This is all gloom and doom, right? But really, actually, you can be really smart with your portfolio. And you can say, okay, I'm going to try and invest in dollar-denominating investments. And it doesn't have to be scary. Um, if you were to convert your 10,000 shillings to dollars today... Because we we expect it to, to the Kenyan shilling to get worse, by doing nothing, you've already earned 15%. But of course, just holding your money in a bank account is the bad idea because you're also experiencing inflation. You have to put it to work. I would recommend download the Dovu app and get started and either look at the technology fund, the gold fund. So the technology fund will give you anywhere from 18 to 24% year-on-year growth on the dollar. The gold fund will give you anywhere from 8 to 12% because it's it's more safer. It's a gold, it's a commodity. Or look at the S&P 500, which is known as the blue chip, that will give you anywhere from 16 to 18% year-on-year. So let's just say that you decide to change your money today and you've invested it in the technology fund. Not only would you have improved your return because now you hold dollars by 15%, the tech fund will do better and you will probably earn another 10%. So in December, when you're going for that holiday and you want to convert your money back, you've actually made significantly more money. And my advice today is that if you have investments in Kenya shillings, leave them there because it's still a very good investment to hold. But any new investments that you look to make, try and do it in dollars. And what we've done is because you're not investing in super risky assets, you're not going to see 40% return overnight. You'll see constant growth. You know that you're not your downside, which is where you see the loss of your money, is also protected because you're not playing such high risks or high, such high odds, for example. So when it comes to investing, you can take the emotion out by doing education, starting small, and also just being smart by converting your money into USD because guess what? You're already up 15%. And then, you know, if there's some market market volatility, you're, you know you're in the up, so it's a little, a little less risky. And on to that, I'd just like to say is that at Dovu, we actually give are giving away free financial advice, which normally costs you about 15 to 20,000 shillings per session. So just reach out at support at dovu.co, say you'd like a free financial planning session. Even if you don't want to invest at Dovu, it will just get you started. How do you budget? How do you manage expenses? And then how do you make your money grow? step-on-step guide you're speaking to a human they'll help you understand how to get there and lastly i think the other investment advice i could give is that you don't have to do this alone Uh, we've launched a group investment um, solution on the app so you can come and do this with your family members your friends and really think about okay if i have a charmer how do we make our money grow without doing land investing Um, but actually doing something that's a little bit more liquid transparent and you can see the growth so that's another way of getting over the fear of 
I can't do this on my own. Let me try it with a group of friends. And then once you become an expert investor, I guarantee you'll open your own account. What advice would I give someone to get out of their head and just start their business? I really truly believe that a lot of our obstacles are in our heads. And it's not our fault growing up, you know, there probably been an uncle that said, you can't do that. There's probably been a dad or a parent saying, oh, no, you're not good at that. You're not going to be successful. And all these subconsciously sink into your mind. And when you go to try something new, that's the first thing you hear. I remember when I was going to do anything dumb, I knew my dad was saying, if you do that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And then you didn't do it, right? Which I'm really grateful for because some of the things that were placed were really dangerous. And so I was had that voice, but that voice is still there from other people saying, you can't do X or you, you're not good enough to do Y. And it's all actually in your head. And if you tell somebody your dream and they don't relate to it or they laugh at you, actually, they're not even meant to be part of your circle. I have become very good at not being around people that limit my growth. And I make conscious decisions in order to achieve that. I think at this stage, it's very important to do that because you don't want to be with a group of friends saying, I'm going to start this business. And they're like, oh, Actually, I don't think that's a good business idea. Well, how do you know? You've not tried it. Secondly, I'd say those limiting beliefs, you need to change the narrative in your head. You need to say, okay, everyone's saying I can't do this, but what are what are the weaknesses and what are my strengths? And what do I know about this market? Call people, run a Facebook ad, it costs you 200 shillings. Would you buy this jacket for 200 shillings for example there's lots of ways you can test with the internet on whether this is something that someone wants the last thing i would say is that just believe in yourself so one thing i do which is kind of cheesy i think you you end up doing this when you become a, a founder a business owner because it's quite a lonely journey at the top is that you do these you have to find motivations from different areas and so recently i did a, a leadership course I, I read a lot of stuff around the mindset, et cetera, because you have to do it because it is a tough journey. And the one thing I tell myself every day is that you can have it all. And the reason being is that as a woman, and this is coming from a woman perspective, you're told you can't have a family. You can, you're, If you have a family, you can't have a successful business. But if you have a successful business, that means your family life and your marriage is going to fall. So I tell myself every day I can have it all because there are moments where you think, because I have a family, I have, I'm married, I am running this business, I want a bit of a social life. So I just remind myself that I can have it all. And guess what you do from that mindset, you start problem solving, you'll find people that can support you in different areas of your life. And you, you use them. And I think even as an entrepreneur, you don't have to build this on your own. Ask for help. That's something we don't do. Also, we're afraid that people will judge us. I don't, I, I have no filter anymore about judgment. Because I just think, well, you're not in a position of doing, so you can't judge me. And I would never, and, and I also don't give out judgment anymore because if somebody wants to jump off a, a building and then it's skydiving and it's fun for them, I would never judge them. I'd probably join them. But I was trying to think of an example. And I think it's that you need to stop putting your value on what other people think about you and you will honestly achieve the world. I actually think the minute you stop thinking about what would I look like in society, you'll probably be A, much happier and B, you'll achieve all your goals. And this simple thing, in the beginning of every year, you should write down your goals. And then every year you should check back in your goals. Have I, have, am I doing the right things in this space? By the end of the year, you do another check-in. And I've been doing this for about, I'd say, 10 years. And every time, anything I've written down has come true because subconsciously, you, and you don't realize it, but in your mind, you're working towards this goal because you've actually written them down. 
And you're like, oh yeah, I would love to have done X. And it just somehow an opportunity presents itself. And because you're not limiting it to your mind saying, oh, I can't do this, you're written, I will have done this and I will have done this. And it's just mindset. And I think all the great founders, if you speak to now, is probably having the same journey I am after two years of being a founder, is you find ways to motivate yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. So get rid of those limiting beliefs, that weird comment that somebody may say to you that, oh, I don't think this business idea is going to do well. Great, that's your opinion. You're not working hard. You don't know what I'm doing to get there. Cool. Like, cool story, bro. <laughs> Legally Clueless. Powered by Visa Everywhere Initiative, where startups unlock global opportunities and platforms. Visit www.visa.co.ke forward slash visa hyphen everywhere to learn more. Wasn't that just such a powerful story? So many things stood out for me. And I remember after recording this, I called my network. <laughs> I called actually one member of my network, my best friend, Kadzo, and I was telling her exactly what Radhika said which was your network should help you. And I was just like, whew, thank God I'm doing one thing right because my network is helping me. <laughs> so I'm on the right track there. Um, another thing that really stood out for me was when she talks about the 10 years experience she already had when she was trying to figure out what business to start when she came back home to Kenya. And she thought about like chocolate and fashion and jewelry, etc. And then she came back to like, hang on, I have 10 years experience in this particular thing. It makes sense for me to build a business there. And I've never heard that. Even when I was first thinking of leaving my previous radio job, I went through that same process of trying to figure out what business will make sense. And I actually landed on jewelry. <laughs> that was, I can't even had suppliers. <laughs> I even remember having a conversation with my late uncle, Uncle Peter, just telling him like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. So this is the pricing. Like, dudes, I was, I was well on my way. <laughs> but I mean, what she said does make sense. If you've got 10 years experience, maybe it makes sense to dive into that. So start thinking about not only what you're passionate about, but what you already have real experience in Ooh, i also love when she talks about having the right team i'm putting together my team now and that's just a wonderful you know the two pointers she talks about uh, what are my weaknesses so you look for people who are strong in those and what do i need to learn oh that part i was just like yes taking notes taking notes and then lastly what type of investor are you that is so important to understand because remember at the beginning of this episode, I was talking about how January, my partner and I are talking about like investing, blah, 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 blah. And then he is like jumping in. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to lose my money just like that. I don't want to lose my money. And so because we're two different types of investors we probably can't invest at the same rate or maybe even at the in the same thing or the same amounts you know what i mean so um it's not to say if you're not a risk taker when it comes to investing it's not to say something's wrong with you and that investing is not for you you're just a different type of investor so i have never investments 
are not normally explained to me like this. So once I heard this, it feels a bit more settling. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, now I, I can invest the way an investor like me should invest. So absolutely loved having Radhika on, on the podcast. So what I want you to do is in the show notes, make sure you check out the Visa Everywhere initiative. We have put a link to their website so that if you run a startup, you can go and start seeing when the next call out for the next competition is and how you can tap into that network. It's www.visa.co.ke forward slash visa hyphen everywhere. But that link is in the show notes. Another thing I want you to check out is Ndovu. I've started investing with Ndovu, so I'm very excited. Let's do this together, imagine. Like, let's just change our relationship with money from this episode. Let this be a, like a new beginning. So I have in the show notes also put a link to Ndovu, the app. You can download it, feel your way around it. And even if you choose not to invest on the platform, make one decision after this episode that changes your relationship with money. All right. If you want to share your story on this podcast, make sure you sign up or rather fill out our storyteller form. It's also in the show notes. If you are in Kenya, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. We will get your story. Your African, your story is valid and it needs to be heard. If you're in Kenya, you can catch us on Trace FM every single Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. And I will catch you. I don't even need to leave you with any inspiration. Like this episode has just been full of mad inspiration. And I'm so happy we finally got to talk about money and the emotions that govern our relationship with money. Yeah, I hope this changes things for you. I hope this episode inspired you. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.